Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Sharpest Tool, where we take the sting out of marketing with everything that we're bringing to the table. My name is Josh Smith. I am your host. And today, I have the special opportunity to bring Patrick Lang back into the booth here today for actually our second video recorded podcast episode. So we're really excited to have you back. Patrick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. For those who missed our first episode, Patrick, he's got an, uh, he's an experienced HVAC-specific business broker with the Business Modification Group. Patrick's got a unique background in financial planning, has even owned his own HVAC business himself. And so this is our second episode, like I mentioned with Patrick. If you missed the first part, you definitely want to go give it a listen. But Patrick, give us a bit about the kind of elevator pitch from the first episode, just so everybody who hasn't listened to it knows who you are, where you came from. Quick history of me, I guess we'll call it. Yeah. I, I had an, owned a financial planning company for my early part of my adult life, and I sold that and got into the service businesses. Bought a swimming pool service company initially and then became a business broker. And through that process, eventually focused my practice just on selling heating and air. But along the way, I did buy a heating and air company, ran it for two years, and now my son runs it today. So that's the snapshot of me from episode one. There we go. <laughs> Short, sweet, to the point. You definitely want to dive in more if you haven't listened to it. There's a lot of great nuggets in there. But today, I actually want to focus on your current business, the Business Modification Group. So tell the listeners who might have missed the last episode a bit about that particular venture. Absolutely. I am a business broker who just sells heating and air companies across the country. When I initially started out, I was just in Florida. Then it became kind of the Southeast. And then through articles I write for different industry publications, HVA mm -hmm. Insider, ACR, HR News, that type of thing, they spread them around the country. And so I decided, well, maybe something I could take nationwide. And so for probably the last year, mm -hmm. I have been selling companies uh, all around the country. And in the last three years, I've sold more heating and air companies than anybody. So it's it's kind of a joke and kind of a brag. It will be the best when you're the only one kind of doing it. There's a lot of brokers, a lot of great brokers out there who sell heating and air companies. Yeah. But I exclusively do that, and I think that that kind of makes a difference both for me as well as for my clients. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I know I, I've heard in the broker world, you know, there's a lot of people who are nervous about losing out on opportunities if they go niche. Uh, is is there any validity to that? And what, what's been your experience with that? That's been my fear about every business I've ever owned my whole life. I always hear niche, 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 and I've never done it out yeah. of pure fear. Um, it's been the best thing that for me, from my business perspective. And now that I look back, I think really from my client perspective, when I was selling bars, restaurants, convenience stores, if you came to me with a flower shop, I couldn't add any value because yeah. it had nothing to do with a liquor license or how many seats are in a restaurant. So I was limited on the value I could provide. I feel that now by focusing just on selling heating and air and obviously owning a heating and air company as well, that I think it allows me to deliver more value to you. Sure. And, and so it was my biggest fear best decision I made. And I think it benefits not only me and my business, but my my clients' businesses as well. I want to talk a little bit about some of the things maybe you've learned since going niche and how we can potentially cross apply it to a home service business owner. A lot of them have line extensions, right? You have your HVAC plumbing, electrical companies, and it's not to say that you can't do those well, but there's probably a specific path that you got to take in order to do those well versus just having a solid focus in one area. What are some of the best things that you've learned about since going um, in more of a niche direction? And what are some of the things that you, like advice you would give somebody who's thinking, man, I got to diversify myself since you've been there in that, in that world? Well, I think the biggest thing is educating yourself, yeah. you know, because the more value you deliver to the customer, and that's whether you own a heating and air company or a plumbing company or an electrical company, or you're selling them. Yeah. I think the more value you deliver, the more people seek you out. 
And so, and it takes time. You know, initially I was telling people I only sell heating and air company and I'd sold three or four. Yeah. And, and then it became 10 or 12 and then it became 20 or 30. And so each one that I sell, I learn a little bit more. And that education process allows me to once again, help my clients more. But it allows me to get around more people who are just doing that as well. I think sure. I think success leaves clues in any industry, and and I think in the trades it does even more. I mean, it's incredible the people that I've met. And you and I talked prior to recording this yeah. about industry names that we know uh-huh. that are giving back. And there's so many different ways that people do back, whether it's through groups, whether it's through organizations like yours, whether it's through a podcast like this. So I, I, there's so many places for people to find information. And so that's that's all I do. That's what, when I listen to a podcast, it's heating and air related. When I read a magazine, it's heating and air related. When I'm at an event, it's heating and air related. So I immerse myself in that. And that would be my advice for whatever niche somebody yeah. else is going, looking at going to. And I think once again, success leaves clues, find those people and listen as much as you can. Yeah. Being an expert, there's something to say about being an expert in whatever you're doing. If it's turning a wrench around, uh, you know, for pipes and if you're a plumber or if it's, uh, you know, fixing HVAC units, being an expert, there's a need for expertise. And uh, I think so often we take the jack of all trades mentality. <laughs> Absolutely. And I did. Yeah. And I was selling yeah. everything. And, it, and in my, use my business as the example, I was scared that there's not enough heating and air companies sure. to sell or, or any niche at that point. I mean, I was just selling whatever, whatever anybody, anybody would let me sell. And so, but I realized that there are, and I think there is a need for an expert. And just like, I'm, I'm not going to call a plumber sure. out to fix my air conditioner. I'm going to call a heating and air guy yeah. and, and, or girl. And, and same thing. I'm not going to call a heating and air person to fix my plumbing unless obviously they offer multiple trades in their business. That's yeah. different, but I'm saying, that's who I'm going to call. I'm yeah. not going to go to my attorney to do my taxes. I'm going to go to my accountant to do my taxes. And that was the approach I've taken. And and knock on wood, I've been blessed that it's been successful. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you were for a while, you know, and I don't know, is this still the case that you are the only broker who solely focuses on HVAC or have you found other players come into the market? Yeah, there's others that are starting to pop up yeah. and, and there's another competitor. I wouldn't even call them competitor. I, there's another there's another company based in Florida that does all trades. So mm. they do plumbing, heating and air and electrical where I just do heating and air. As far as I know, I'm the only heating and air one. I, I see a lot of people focusing on it trying to get into that space now because I think they see that there's a lot of activity. Sure. And I think COVID amplifies that. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the trades. Once again, we've we talked in the, in the last episode that my wife and I have, have done without a lot, but we always yeah. have cold air in the summertime. And so I think during down economic times, people still want their air conditioner to work. And yeah. and so so I think other brokers are seeing that opportunity and going after that market, but nobody that exclusively does that I'm aware of. Let's talk a bit about somebody who wants to sell their business. All right. Are they that's part of their exit strategy? They want to build their business up, get it, make it attractive to people so they can have a private equity firm come in and, and purchase it or another HVAC company come in and purchase it. What are some of the steps that they need to take today if they haven't already taken them to give them the best opportunity at getting what they ultimately want for the company when they sell? I think there's four things to focus on. And if you focus on those four things, you'll have a very sellable business, whether it's to a competitor, to somebody wanting to get in the industry, or like you mentioned, a private equity group. And the first thing is clean books and records. Yeah. Stop treating your business like your personal bank account. It's yeah. not, you're running every, all these expenses through it. And the theory has always been trying to save taxes, trying to save taxes, trying to save taxes. Well, 
you can't get paid to steal twice is what I tell people. You can't, <laughs> you can't cheat the government and expect somebody to write you a check for that. Yeah. So you have to make the decision. Is it better for me to save money on taxes or am I going to get a higher multiple down the road? And I can tell you mathematically, the answer is pay the taxes and claim the income. And then you'd be able to get that money down the road. So clean books and records, taking yourself out of the truck. Because if you're the only, as they call, Chuck in the yeah. truck, if you're the only guy out turning wrenches, you don't have a business, you have a well-paying job. And fantastic. Great for you. You're yeah. making great income. But don't think your exit strategy is going to be somebody selling it because that's not what people are looking to buy. Third thing is focusing on service. And so service over new construction. Buyers are scared to death of new construction, yeah. especially during market ups and downs. And so the more service that you focus on, that your business focuses on, the better it's going to be. And the final thing is maintenance agreements and, and sure. deepening that customer relationship. So I see a lot of companies that are offering multiple trades, doing it very well now where it's a heating and air and plumbing company. And so they'll have a maintenance agreement that covers the plumbing and the heating and air. If they're just heating and air related, it's just heating and air focused. But getting into yeah. customers' homes more often delivering a better relationship with that customer, which leads to long-term profitability. Yeah, I want to dive into that first piece a little bit because you mentioned, obviously, clean books and records. And there are some things that you've seen that are not so clean sure. when it comes to it. What are some of those things that you see that maybe a business owner does knowingly or unknowingly that you've seen lead to a problem for investors to actually purchase? Well, a lot of personal expenses run through the book. So paying for a husband or wife's one pub. Porsche payment is an example. So <laughs> they're claiming it as a business expense and yeah. it's making a $2,000 a month payment. Yeah. Well, that's not necessary for the business to run. And so they want to say, well, we're going to add that back in to what the profit is. Mm. Well, a buyer doesn't see it that way all the time. Yeah. And so paying for vacations, paying for all the dinners. Yeah. Um, and so all these expenses that are technically business related sure. and the IRS may frown upon them and may not been using that as an deduction, but then when it comes time to excel, expecting somebody to pay you back for that stuff. Sure. And that's that can't get paid to steal twice thing. Let me, to bring it a little more practically, something like a vacation, um, what would you consider to be a clean book for an expense like a vacation or an expense None, like no a No vacation listed in there. Okay. So if you're going to the AHR Expo in Florida next year, and you then you turn it into a two-week trip at Disney, yeah. you can't, if you're writing off the Disney trip, tickets, chances are that's a gray area. Yeah. And and so those are the types of things that sellers say, well, the business just paid for it and, and it really wasn't a business expense, so I should get paid back. It was meals and entertainment, right? <laughs> that's exactly it. So yeah. once again, I understand as a business owner, I've been self-employed since I was 23 years old. And so I, I have been creative over the years with some things, maybe more than I should have. But at the same point in time, I wasn't trying to sell a business. Yeah. And so the least amount of personal expenses that you can have in there, the better off you're going to be. So as a business broker, um, when somebody's getting ready to sell and that you connect seller with a buyer, what's the process look like for auditing the business? Well, the reality is that starts prior to finding that buyer. So okay. when I meet with somebody, the first thing we do is go through the numbers, sure. go through the books and typically go through three years of tax returns. Normally, a bank is going to want to see three years of records. And yeah. so we'll get that together ahead of time. All questions answered. If there is an ad back mm. that may be a business expense that you have but the new owner wouldn't have, we may look at adding that back in. And so so we'll do that ahead of time. That starts then. Then typically, once an offer has been made and accepted, and there's a lot of steps through that. Yeah. But once we're at that point where it's accepted, they're going to have what's called a due diligence period. Yeah. And most contracts will state if they find anything they don't like in due diligence, they can walk away. 
And so they'll ask often for tax returns, usually three years of tax returns, usually P&L um, to correspond yeah. as a tax return, match the P&L. And they'll also ask for bank statements. And so to make sure that what you're claiming on the tax return and uh-huh. on the P&L is actually what's happening in the bank. Account. Yeah. So that's typically from the financial side, that's where it is. Now, a buyer who's in experience in the trades, they may ask to see the CRM, whether it's House Call Pro or Service Titan or something else that they're using. They may ask for access to that to look at ticket volume, ticket pricing, that type of stuff. Yeah. But from a normal buyer off the street, just looking at the numbers, tax returns, P&L, and then bank statements. Yeah, I've even heard it too in experiences that we've had dealing with business owners who are having investors come in or selling their business. They, they, If you're steeped in any kind of marketing, they look at the marketing and they look at, do a whole full analysis on how your lead costs are because they, what they're looking for is they're trying to see, okay, if we buy this business, they already have an idea where we want to take it. Right. And so they're saying, okay, is this set up to go where we want to take it? Um, Has that been your experience as well with some of the deals? You know, on the higher end deals with more complex buyers, absolutely. Sure. Okay. You know, and so I sell anything from a, you know, a company doing $500,000 a year in sales to Mm -hmm. one doing 50 million in sales. Sure. And so it depends on where that buyer is. Is it a private equity buyer? Is it some other business experience? Is it an industry insider that's looking to kind of gobble up some competitors or get to a marketplace? Sure. So at the higher end of the market, absolutely. They're going to look at everything. I mean, they'll bring in. I did a deal in in Atlanta a few months ago. They brought in 26 accountants and worked on, because of COVID, it was remote. (laughs) And so they were going through everything and put together spreadsheets. My eyes were rolling the back of my head with some spreadsheets. But absolutely, they can be as in-depth as you can possibly imagine. It's a big deal. And if you're expecting to get a big payday, you have to expect a little bit of work involved as well. Yeah. So the, I, I know there's a, a new tax plan and like financing situation. The new tax plan is capital gains to like 40%, right? That's supposedly coming in. How is that affecting all this? Could be a huge impact. Mm. Obviously, what happens in Washington, they talk about typically for a year before anything actually does happen. Yeah. But the reality is, if you're looking at selling your business and the last I read, and this could be different now, sure. but that was for people with income over a million dollars. Yeah. So that doesn't affect everybody. But if you're looking at having a higher income and selling a business, you could lose 40% of the capital gains tax, where right now it's only 20%. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge, huge impact. And that coupled with money being so cheap right now. Yeah. And, and so I think that's driving some of the sales as well is because heating and air company, if you own a, a business right now and you want to buy another one, yeah. I've got banks that'll do it with no money down finance over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so you could buy companies with very little, if nothing out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And so that's driving some of that sales as well. But yeah. but the fear from a change in Washington at this point, I guess it hasn't even been, been solidified who's going to be sure. the president at this point. But based on what I've read, the, the capital gain rate is actually going to go to 40%. Yeah. Also, another thing that you've seen, you've been on the financial planning side as well as the brokerage side. Um, so I'm sure these are some of the conversations that you have with business owners. Is there anything in the business brokerage world where if I'm selling my business and then I take in a $3 million for the sale, it, like you do with a house, you sell a house and you can roll those funds into kind of a another new, business. another business or another investment. Is there something similar that happens? There, there is much more complex and you're talking about a 1041 exchange yep. they do for real yep. estate. It's much more complex than that. It does exist, but the reality is most people, when they come to me, they're done. Yeah. They're, they're not looking to go start another yeah. venture someplace. And they've got mm-hmm. to sign non-compete agreements. So yeah. so if they were going to get back in the space, they'd have to do it 50 miles away or something like that. And, and the reality is most successful heating and air companies took a long time to get there. 
didn't happen overnight. And so the thought to any of them to go start over again yep. doesn't make sense. So yeah. I've never I've never had that happen with any of the sales that I've done. It does exist. More complex. Yeah. And once again, most of my sellers are going to retire. The thought of rolling into another business doesn't it doesn't think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for people who are positioning themselves to buy, or maybe we've you've sparked a you know a thought or an interest in them, and they're like, you know what? I think I actually want to continue to grow. And one of those ways I want to grow is through a merger or acquisition, right? What are for somebody who's new to that space and they're thinking, well, I, I need to start finding a company that I can acquire, that I can roll into my business or continue to expand that way. What are some of the things and steps that they should take to actually go about? finding a business that would be suitable for them to acquire? Great question. And, and and I talk about this a lot, and it's not normal for a broker to say this, but make don't buy anything until your ducks are in a row in your own business. Mm. So many people think, and I'm sure you see it in the marketing side, they've got all these other problems, and they think if we have more leads coming in, that fixes Oh, problem. yeah. That, that's not the fix. <laughs> all and the so, time. So they can have a business that, that everything's falling apart all around, yeah. and they think, well, if I just buy another one, it's got employees, it's got everything, I'll buy that and bring that in furthest from the truth. Now you've just escalated your headaches. And now you've taken on debt. Now you've got more employees and now you've got all these other problems. So make sure your house is in order first Mm -hmm. and you've got systems in place in your own business before you go taking on somebody else's. That's the first step. Second thing is once you determine, yes, my business is at a point where I'm ready to grow, is take a look at location. Are you looking at moving to another town and starting a new complete different market, or are you trying to expand within your own area? Mm. Um, seeing what what kind of systems you have, and, and really it, it all comes down to systems, because if you can duplicate what you're doing now someplace else, then maybe being in another location is okay. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have great systems in place, and either does the, the company you're gonna run, yeah. you can be traveling back and forth between two headaches. Oh, so yeah. determining where that location is gonna be, and then size. I see people wanna get much bigger than them. So they're doing a million dollars in sales and they want to buy a company that's doing two million. Well, it takes a different mentality to go from a million to two million. And so buying somebody at that mentality may that may not be the answer. So I often say buy somebody equal or a little yeah. less than yours. If you're doing a million, buy another company doing a million because they're focused, they're having the same problems you're having or have had to get to where you are. And the, the companies that are a little less, so if you're doing three million, you buy one doing a million, you know what it took to get you from a million to three. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would be the other thing is location and size, mm. uh, you know, as far as that. And then what can you afford? And so are you going to use financing? Are you, yeah. you know, what is it going to affect cash flow? How are you going to do it? Those would be the kind of things I would look at first. Yeah. And then start looking at what's on the market and does it fit into what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. For a seller, what are some of the things that um, I know we mentioned some of the four things that people really need to focus on to get their ducks in a row, but three pieces of advice that you might have for somebody who's looking to sell? Make sure you really want to sell. Yeah. Um, when I sold my financial planning company, which is the first business that I sold of my own, it was the hardest emotional and financial decision I've ever had. You're walking away from what you fed your family with and paid all your bills with for many people your entire life. So make sure you really want to sell. Yeah. I've had sellers come to me and then in the process they realize, oh my gosh, mm. I'm not ready. Yeah. And so I would make sure you're ready to make that decision. Yeah. And then once you're ready to make that decision, understand that you have an impact on who buys your business. So just because somebody comes along and says they want to buy it doesn't mean you have to let them buy it. Yeah. Um, I hear all the talk of private equity this and all these other buyers that you don't have to sell to anybody. Sure. So what we do, and, and some brokers are different, but what I like to do in my business yeah. is when a buyer comes to the table, we first do a phone call and make sure we, we've under, ironed out the numbers side. Let's sit down in person. Can you get along? 
This is going to be a good fit. They're taking over your legacy. Something, once again, you spent your entire life building. Are you okay with them taking it over? And are they good with you? Because I think I, in order for a good deal to be done, everybody should leave the closing table as friends. Yeah. And, and they're going to have questions that you're going to be able to answer. You're going to want to see your customers and your employees taken care of. So make sure, sure that's a good fit. The other thing is, though, also take a look. Is there somebody in-house that can buy it? We do a lot of deals and, and help facilitate a lot of deals where people will come to me and I'll, they'll say they want to sell. And I'll say, well, do you have a family member that could buy it? Well, my son wants to buy it, but he doesn't have the money. We're able to get creative and structure some things to happen. Or we, I've had a great guy or girl who's been with me for years, and she'd be a perfect person to take it. Yeah. I've never done it. And so, so we try to put that together first. If there's somebody that's familiar with your business that has helped you get to where you are, and we can help them take it over, fantastic. Let's look at that first, then start interviewing these other buyers. That's great. The really, really solid advice. I know that that could be a really that's is the most challenging thing is you've it, people don't have that next what's next right. you know in mind and so they may see this little nest egg but they don't have this vision that goes above and beyond the business itself and so that's I I imagine where a lot of the heartache comes into play. Yeah, well, and, and back to that personal expenses. You know, you're yeah. talking about the the creative accounting. Well, what does the business really pay for? Yeah. If you sat down and looked at it. If you get this check, and I always ask people the first time we meet, what does the check need to say for you to walk away? Mm-hmm. What's the dollar figure got to be? I've had some people that that are so way out in left field, there's nothing I can do for them. I'm not a miracle worker. Yeah. I can get it sold. I can get it sold for a fair market value and, and make this a great transaction for you. But I can't get you some crazy multiple because that's what you need. So identifying what you need and then is it realistic? And so that's why I ask that question. If we're close, if I... Looking at the numbers, think, oh, it's a million-dollar business. And I meet with them, and I say, what does a check need to say for you to walk away? And they say, $10 million, which that happens a lot. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. I say, I'm not your guy. Yeah. I, I can't do that. I'm not going to put a listing out there just for the sake of putting it out there. It's not sellable at that price. Yeah. And you're basing what, what you want the business to generate by what you need. You need to take care of what you need first, and then we can sell your business. And so so understanding that's helpful. I love that. Well, Patrick, this has been really, really helpful. Again, round two with you in the booth. So I really appreciate your time and all the knowledge and the expertise that you've been dropping on the Sharpest Tool. So thank you for your time. Thank you for letting me come in. I really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. And for um, anybody who wants to find out more about you know your business, where can they find you? Obviously, my website, businessmodificationgroup.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. You can call me directly. My number is 352-440-4604. Happy to answer any questions that I can help out in any way. Awesome. Patrick, well, thank you again. Appreciate you. Thank you. And for everybody listening, wherever you might be listening at, if you found today's episode particularly helpful, definitely share it around. You might know somebody who's uh, thinking about selling their business or potentially acquiring an HVAC business in this world. So definitely share this around. There's a lot of really good information here. And definitely open up the podcast app wherever you might be listening at, Spotify or iTunes, or if you're watching us now on YouTube, definitely leave some comments, hit that like button, give that subscribe button a nice tap, and leave a review so more people can continue to find the sharpest tool. And share the episode again with all of your friends, your family, from all of us here at Scorpion and the Sharpest Tool. We will talk to you next time. Thanks. 